Ciao, everybody. It's Adam Nitty here with you. The Players Are Loud series. It's this is the this is the Italian edition today. I've got the incredible Marcos Vogli with me, uh, guitarist living in Italy. Um, he, Marco, I have such an affinity for you. I feel like we're we're distant brothers in a way because of my Italian heritage, and and it's it's just as corny as it might sound, I'm so proud to, to have you on, you know, as, as a part of this music, um, man, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thanks, man. Thanks. Really honored to be here. Oh man. It's the honor is, is all mine. And you know, the, the series was, this video series is born from the music of my latest album, which actually comes out today is the official release date. It's uh, today is January 5th, 2021. And um, starting today, the, the album is available everywhere, uh, which I'm, I'm so thrilled about. I'm thrilled to have you on, on the show today because it commemorates, you know, a really special, special moment for me. But um, you will, we'll talk about what you, what you contributed to this album, but, but you and I go back farther than that, don't we? I, I, uh, oh, yeah. I was first introduced to, to your music and to you as, as a player through our, our mutual friend, Alex Argento. And um, I, Alex Argento, for those of you who don't know, he is a genius uh, in so many ways, but he's a, he's a keyboard player, composer, producer, and Alex is the the kind of um, he's the kind of producer that only has the the top players involved with with everything he's doing. And um, the, his album called Ego, uh, Marco here was a was a big part of on on guitar. And uh, when I was doing a record several records ago, I had Alex. Uh, he guest appeared on uh, a couple songs. And we were talking about guitar players. You were the first name that that uh, came out of his mouth. So, um, so thank you, Alex, if you're watching, uh, for introducing me to to Marco. And and Marco, thank you so much for for what you've contributed. But um, I I want to ask you first um, because I remember a conversation we had. I, I sent you this song. The the, the song that, that you played on is called "Beat of My Heart." And um, I remember you saying when you received the, the track, you were surprised by the, by the direction and style. Can you talk a little about that? Well, yeah, well the first time we worked together was on Liminal, right? That's so, right. Well, um, which was a pretty much straightforward fusion record. So I knew you as a, um, well, as a, all-around bass, bass player, but mostly uh, all of the songs on Liminal were pretty much fusion. So um, when you sent me the song, uh, it was kind of unexpected. Uh, you caught me off in some <laughs> ways. And, uh, uh, well, besides the song itself, what surprised me was the vocals. I didn't know it was you singing it. Then you told me you were singing it. And uh, uh, I was like, "Wow, it's, it's a great tune. It's a it's a good rock tune." Thank you I so much. Really I loved it. So it was kind of um, it was kind of, uh, of unexpected. On on uh, so the the expectations were high, uh, of course, but I truly didn't expect the rock tune. So it was like, uh, well, for me, it was like a 
a breath of fresh air in some ways because oh I great don't have to think too much uh to what to play i, I can just you know let it go and uh, and let it flow in some ways and and just try to be uh myself well I, I find myself more comfortable in a rock uh zone than in, in a fusion zone so i was kind of uh uh really welcomed on your side so thank you oh thank you it's a great and tune great tune you know it works it just flows and love it well the thing about that song it it does it stands out amongst the others on on the record because that that is the one song that um was born out of a a, a co-write um and we're going to be interviewing um the other writer on that song, Billy Buchanan, in a in a future interview, actually next next week we're we're meeting for that. But um, the uh, funny enough, I don't know if you know this or not, but but that song, the the very beginning of the evolution of that song started with with me uh, on somebody else's guitar. We were hanging out in in a room with with, with this with these band members of a band called um, Skin Deep, mm-hmm. and. I was just fooling around on guitar. I had no business playing with guitar. You know, I was, all I did was, was bass. And I was trying to, I was writing a riff on guitar. So, so the beginning riff of the tune, that was, that was a riff I came up with. And so what ended up happening later was Billy, the, uh, who was, who, who was the other songwriter, he took the riff and with the guitar player from the band, Nick Babliaros, they crafted it into a, a full song that the band Skin Deep started playing, but 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 it all started with that guitar riff that I was just noodling with, which is which is funny talking to someone like you, a true master of of guitar. But th- this album, you know, this new album now is it it was it was written from a guitar perspective. So um, so that's kind of a different thing. But but thank you for the. Thank you for agreeing to to play on it and for the kind words. Um, the so the song obviously is a rock song and it has vocals on it. As a guitar player, you know there was a I, there was a section that we crafted in there just custom made for you to solo over. But do, is your approach different with when you play over vocal tunes as opposed to instrumental fusion tunes? I mean we. Do you think differently or is it just a matter of you just you just go with impulse with whatever you're thinking at the time? I mean, do you do you are you very conscious of a different approach? Well, um, um, specifically on this tune, um, your vocals were um, very inspiring in a way, uh, because sometimes when I hear uh, um, someone singing and I'm, and uh, there's a solo to play, um, I tend to. Uh, can kind of associate the vocal to a certain kind of playing. So uh, your vocals, for some ways, reminded me of Richie Cotton's vocals. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and and for some ways, I just I just told myself I have to I have to try something like that, something like Richie will play. So both tone wise and and notes wise, I try to kind of mimic Richie Cotson in a way um, uh, with all those, you know, uh, slide vibratos and, and the tone is, is a bluesier tone that I um, normally use. Um, so, um, yeah, the, the vocals were 
very inspiring in that. So um, uh, it had the strong blues feeling and also the, 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 the basic tune. It was kind of like, like King Six meets Richie Cotson. So um, it was very, it was, it was very inspiring for the, for the playing, for the actual solo. Oh, that's so, so cool. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you. Richie Cotson. So that's the first time I've, I've heard that reference. It's so funny hearing uh, different people like upon their, their first listen, what it reminds, what it reminds them of. And um, you mentioned King's X and a couple other people have, have also mentioned King's X when they've, when they've listened to the, the music and just, that's a really neat thing because King's X was a, I mean, it was in my rotation all the time during a, a period of, of my life. I loved, loved, loved the the combined funkiness and the hard rock edge, and 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 just as much like the tones of the instruments that right. um, Doug Pinnock and Ty Taylor, uh, you know, the guitar tones, the bass tone, they were so thick, and I don't know, you could kind of get lost in in those tones, um, and. Sp- Speaking of tone, oh my gosh, your tone is is so unique and amazing as well. And when I hear your guitar tone, it's just, I instantly, I know it's you. I mean, you have such an identifiable presence in, in the sound of, 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 your, of your guitar. Do you mind talking a little bit about, about your tone and, and how you maybe how you, how you achieve what you achieve. I asked this question to to players before it's the answers. They're all over the place. Everything from the hands to the gear, you know, combinations of those things. Do you have a philosophy when it comes to your tone? Well, it really depends on the, on the situation. Actually, I have a few uh, stable things that I use when, when, uh, especially as far as amps goes or, digital gear goes these days. Um, I think for that one, uh, for Beat of My Heart, I w- it, was, um, uh, it was a Strat kind of, uh, uh, I think I used uh, an Ibanez Tallman. It, it, it had a th- like three single coils, so it had a very uh, Stratty sound. Mm. And, um, and I think I've, I've hooked it up with uh, one of my camper uh profiles uh there's a little bit of uh, i think i've used some octave divider or something in, in the lead if memory recalls and uh but it's pretty much um kind of a de- uh of a departure from my usual you know humbucking heavy tone because i really wanted the strings to pop out of the speakers you know since since it has to be a sort of richie cotton influenced lead you know, as much as Strat it sounds, the better it is. So yeah. um, it really, uh, I mean, it was it was kind of uh, decided before, pre-decided, preconceived before actually try even trying the notes. And uh, but usually, you no, know, my setup can vary from time to time if it's a more metal tune or more fusion tune uh so my, i may use you know real amps versus digital gear uh humbuckings versus single coils and so on i have a bunch of guitars of different brands uh, uh it really depends on the on the on the situation i have a sort of uh, um 
session philosophy when it comes to uh, recording stuff. So I'm pretty um, convinced that any, every instrument has its own sound that you can just uh, try and replicate with different stuff. So a Les Paul sounds like a Les Paul, an Ibanez sounds like an Ibanez, and a Strat sounds like a Strat. So um, uh, every guitar has its own uh, soul. And uh, depending on the song, I may even use a different guitar on the same tune because of a certain part just calls for that. Uh, spark or darker sound mm. so it's uh it's an, an really interesting world it's an expensive world <laughs> when, you, when you want to you know uh to get into deep uh with it but um i think every uh, player should you know have a few instrument different instruments and experiment with them as far as you know uh guitar sounds goes that is that's a great point um having different instruments it's it's like having having different tools right yeah. in, in a in a toolbox colors yeah and if we liken music to art you know i don't know how exciting art would be if everything was just one color you know we you need to have different colors different hues different variations and and uh you know players a player's sonic identity i think in my opinion depends a lot um on on their tone you know that, right. that without an identifiable tone uh i don't know to me you're missing a, a piece of the puzzle you know and and um so i think about a player like you you know there, there's so many facets to to who you are as a player in your identity you've got this incredible style and and uh and diversity in, in your playing you've got this incredible identifiable tone and if you took out just one of those things, you wouldn't have all of Marco, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it wouldn't all be there. So, so it's important for all those, all those things to, to be, to be present. That, that is so cool. How many, how many tools is enough? <laughs> is that a question for me? I, I guess it's, it's, uh, you can never have too many. <laughs> <laughs> right so, well right you know for for any guitar club yeah player, more is more right right but you know uh for someone starting that wants to you know um get in the business or trying to record uh for others maybe a couple of instruments are enough as as far as guitars goes one with singles one with humbucking so you have the, the whole palette of sounds and uh today um digital stuff is just uh, unbelievably good oh it's so much better now right yeah so um you don't have to crank the amps at home or have a separate room for cabs you just can you know plug into your camper or fractal or whatever and it just sounds convincing I've, i mean i've never had any engineer send me the tracks back saying you know this is not cool or this is just doesn't work um so um well, of course, you can you can get bad tones from digital. As far uh, uh, no, uh, it's the same as amps. Uh, you have to know where to tweak uh, the frequencies and stuff. You know, pretty much like real amps. But it's pretty hard today to get a really bad tone. Yeah, it's common to have a bad tone on certain songs. Yes, so wrong tone on a song. But 
really, really uh, digital stuff just took, uh, well, it was, I saved my life because I, I live in a sort of a condo. Uh, I don't have the ability to crank the amps at home. So uh, for me, it was like from the very beginning was a, a godsend, you know, the whole digital era. Oh, that's awesome. So you're just talking about, you know, the, the digital gear and just the quality difference there is now compared to even, I mean, what, even five years ago. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was very, very different. I, um, th- this record, uh, you know, I don't have any, any problems admitting, you know, I used all uh, plug-in based sounds for the guitar parts that I put down. And I'm frankly shocked at, like you talked about before, how convincing they are. It's, it's, you know, you might be able to tell the difference when you go side by side with, with two different things, you know, in an amp and a digital, but I don't know now with the Kempers and all that, maybe you can't even tell anymore. I have a, I have a good friend, a guitar player and session guitarist in Nashville who uses a Kemper a lot on sessions. And he says that, that he went to uh, Sweetwater Studios. He had sampled his his guitar amp or or, or um, whatever the the term is for for cap- modeled it cap- cap- modeled and captured yeah and and they 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 bust that, the Kemper output and he brought the amp and the amp uh, amp output they bust it through the console and they would a b while while they were playing while he was playing. And this engineer, golden-eared engineer, was saying they couldn't even tell the difference. I mean, that's pretty. It's pretty amazing. It's scary. It really is. It's scary yeah. because you don't know what he actually does. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's a scary green box, and you know nothing about it, what it does, but it simply do. You know. It, yeah. For some reason, it just works. Yeah, it's I I for one am. I don't know. I used to kind of be, I don't know. I, I used to have sort of like a, a negative expectation, you know, with, with a lot of that, that type of gear, but I really, as the quality has improved, I've, I've really become a fan of it because of how versatile it, it can be. And, um, you know, I certainly, I love playing through my loud, big amplifiers on stage Absolutely. But when it comes to recording, I mean, it it really, really does offer you a lot of versatility and, and, and convenience, no, no doubt about it. Totally. You mentioned um, uh, you mentioned some some examples of, of tools before. Uh, another thing you and I have in common is is we're both Ibanez artists. And um, you have well, this is something I had to, to talk I'm yes. not an Ibanez <laughs> artist anymore. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, you may have to Ibanism. edit this out then. Okay. <laughs> well, I left Ibanism actually July, officially okay. in July. Okay. Well, then I, I will edit out that, that I comment. I forgot to tell you, but... No, no, that's uh, fine. I just, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, all right. So, so let me curtail that. Rewind burger I'll do this so that I know where to find it in the video and then I don't, I don't forget it. Um, okay. So, okay. So, so what I'll do is this, then we'll, we'll transition into what you are, into what you are using. So with reference to, to these tools, we're talking about what are your, what are your main go-to instruments now? Like, what do you, what do you like to use the most in performance recording? What do you use? 
Okay, uh, well, recently I, I switched to Charvel guitars and I'm using uh, um, some of the, you know, Strat kind of guitars they do. It's called the SoCal models. So um, it's pretty much straightforward Strat uh, with EMGs, so two single coils and an unbucking. And uh, I've been for... Uh, maybe for 20 years, a 24 fret guy. And then I just moved to the man's guitars, 22 frets. <laughs> like, you know, a friend told me, man's guitars have 22 frets <laughs> and, uh, or 21. And uh, so, yeah, I just, uh, I just stripped down my, my um, kind of, kind of stripped down my, my approach to playing. I wanted to, to I wanted something, uh, uh, at well, at forty, I wanted something more classic sound, classic looking, and classic sounding. So um, I've been always a fan of uh, EMG's pickups, um, kind of the Steve Lukather kind of you know uh, setup. So uh, yeah, I just find my Charvels the the ultimate uh, tone chasers for me. You know, I have a, I have three of them. And uh, and a strat and um, a couple seven strings, uh, which I use for other stuff like for the ice fisher, my my solo things, and uh, yeah, I feel good. Just sim- simple guitars. I don't have anything too you know high tech or or modified too much. Just stock guitars that you can find in any store, and uh, the rest is fingers and uh, a few things which i just upgraded recently um talking about digital gear i'm using the uh it's called the boss waza tube amp expander which allows me to use a real amp without blasting the speakers so you can it's pretty much like a, a reactive load with um, an impulse response loader inside the the box. So is that so, the same concept as what was called a, a power soak? Is that is that right? It's a power soak, uh, but it's also it, which means you can get it in the middle of uh, of a chain of an amp and a cab, and reduce the power. Uh, so it's very useful if you have like a hundred watt master volume head. Uh, well, actually, no master volume head, and you want to reduce the power. Uh, to a more usable level, even on stage. But it's also um, a reactive load, which means that um, uh, it's a sort of uh, an electrical thing between the cab and the uh, power amp of a, of a head or an amp. And uh, it just matches perfectly the impedance of both. Um, and uh, actually to track it straight into a... Um, audio interface, so you don't have to to go with a cab anymore, because That's it so uses cool. impulse responses. So it has inbuilt IRs, or you can use your own and load it. That is really that's yeah. really cool, and it's really convincing because we we did like you said we did like an A B comparison between the real amp through a cab mic and uh, um, the same tone through a collection of impulse responses and. It was just better because you know, it's very easy to to get a bad m- micing on a cab. 
Yeah. So if you're not aware of what you're doing, you can get into phase issues or uh, distant issues or the room isn't treated. So uh, yeah. uh, that solves all the problems if you want to really use a, uh, a tube amp. It sounds, based on what you're describing, it, it sounds to me like it is, um, it's essentially a circuit that is just, it's more adaptable in general, right? Yeah. It's just totally. able to deal with, you know, uh, different um, scenarios yep. with, with tone. That is so cool. Um, I want to take you back a second because you started talking about something that I find especially fascinating. And um, I'm, I'm hearing people talk about this a lot. You, you're essentially, you were referring before to the idea of sort of like stripping down your approach in terms of the instrument you're playing and, and, and the gear you're using and that's super fascinating to me because you, um, the people that 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 know you're playing, they, I, I'm I'm going to go on a limb here. I mean, they they know you to be like a very out front player with an out front type of sound. Um, maybe somebody would consider you to be um, if, if they heard, I don't know, something like like your band. Ice Fish, uh, we can talk about that as well, um, or or what you played on my music. You know, it's 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 in a modern context of, of guitar playing, but you're talking about kind of moving in in a more retro direction, at least in terms of of, of the tools that you're using. Where does that come from? Because I I can relate to this so much because um, and you know, I don't think they would mind my saying I have, I have a uh, two signature bases with, with Ibanez. I have a five string and a six string bass with them, but I also have a four string Ibanez that is a jazz. It's essentially, it's just a jazz bass, a J bass. And I love playing that as much as sometimes even more d- depending on the context. And I own, I own more jazz basses than anything else in my in my bass collection those have always been my all-time favorite instrument there's just something about the the dimensions of it of course the sound and there's it's a comfort it's a comfort zone instrument for me i whenever i pick one up i feel like i'm in control of it it's not in control of me so i can relate to that in a way but What's the appeal for you? Because there are there's actually a significant number of players that are moving this direction. They're kind of going more in a in a, in a retro direction in terms of their approach. This is it just? I'm curious about that with you. Well, I think it comes partly from the fact that um, my musical taste has changed mm. the past couple of years, and uh, I started listening to a number of different things that I probably had didn't ever listen before or just new things that I discovered that just changed my mind or pointed me in a direction that um, I didn't know before. Um, uh, For example, uh, well, this past month, since the uh, beginning of the pandemic situation where we were locked in, uh, I started watching a load of YouTube videos about session players. I was kind of obsessed by uh, videos of session players telling stories or just, you know, showing a gear or watching them playing. Like, you know, Tim Pierce, for example, mm-hmm. is one of my uh, favorites. Or uh, um, I've actually seen a couple of 
uh, Denaf Fidios is mm-hmm. one of my favorite guitar players. And, uh, and all of them actually had one thing in common. They were, they, they were using kind of, uh, normal gear <laughs> yeah just just stuff that you say you know I will more, tra- more traditional gear right Tra- traditional yeah. gear yeah. You know, i yeah. would say normal i would say traditional right and and the, the tone they were getting out of uh uh their guitars or their amps were ju- was just uh what i was looking for not that with the stuff that i had i couldn't get them but maybe um uh, the you know the whole world is moving to the high tech direction where you know right the guitars are high tech and they're made of you know um, new woods or they have all these weird shapes uh, to appeal you know younger people and even the music scene is going in that direction with all the uh, uh, I'm speaking about my genre uh, the the gen stuff or the uh, extremely mathematical yeah. music you know and uh so i was just looking for uh for the roots going back to to the roots and and i started listening as i said you know different players session players uh, um even even different kind of styles like you know rock blues that i kind of abandoned for 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 years and so i think it was a matter of musical taste has changed and uh and uh and so i i kind of picture myself with a strat at some point which is something i've never actually thought about when i was yeah. 20 yeah you know uh i was always the guy with the super strat in my yeah. hands yeah you know with i so words. relate to that i know exactly yeah. what you're saying and uh it, it's kind of I'm not saying I've, I've I've kind of you know um, got to the point where I didn't have anything more to say with that stuff, but it was kind of uh, a relief when I when I got you know the strat kind of guitar and uh, and I had to even fight a little bit with it to get it in tune and to get exactly, but the rewards were just unbelievable man mm. because when you when you master a guitar like that it's like uh it's it's a total different game it, it just it just get the it just get that tone out of it the tone that you've heard for years and years and years yeah so it's yeah it's a matter of you know I, I i always say you know at 40 i think it was time for a change because change is good for inspiration as well absolutely amen to that uh this has been the year of change for me, especially. Um, and, you know, you talk about the embracing different instruments and everything. I, um, early this year, I, I got serious about starting to play upright bass. It was something I've wanted to do for, you know, I've wanted to do it my, uh, for 20 years, probably, you know, and I, I just never, I never got serious about it because in my mind, it was like, well, I, you know, I've got so much to learn on the electric, you know, I, I, I've never reached a place where I feel like, oh, it's time to relax. I don't have any more to learn. You know, it's, I've never been, I've never been that way. It was always a thing like, okay, I've got to, I need to keep pushing. And, and I was always motivated by knowing there's, there's more knowledge out there, but with, uh, 
you know, with the lockdown and the slowdown of everything, it was an opportunity for me to kind of, you know, sat and just sort of, you know, inventoried what was going on in my life. I had extra time now. And so, I mean, real, this pandemic really is the reason that I was able to finish this record, The World is Loud. You know, finally had uninterrupted time to, to do that. But I, um, I, I bought an upright bass and, and started just fooling around on it. I, um, fortunately I've got some colleagues that are, that are masters of the upright that I, I work with at Belmont university. And, um, they gave me some tips and sent me some, some videos and, and some books. And, and I, it's been so inspirational, you know, to use your, your word, it's inspiring to fight with something. Cause let me tell you, playing an upright from electric is a fight. I mean, yeah. you know, I was all bruised in the face and in the arms when I first tried to do it, the blisters would never stop, you know, but, but the payoff is so incredible because, and I think you could relate to this. It's like the payoff is that when you finally are making the sound that you hear, it's beautiful because right. it's like, Oh, this is, this is what caught my attention when I first heard this instrument, be it a Strat, an upright, a Les Paul, a jazz bass, a P bass. And then to hear yourself making those sounds with your voice, it's it's really cool. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of, I think I've read, um, I read an interview with Steve Lukather a few years ago where he was saying, you know, he's not using his rag gear anymore because people were thinking that that was what made him sound that great. So he stripped uh, down his, he stripped down his, uh, his rig to just, uh, you know, a guitar, an amp, and a few pedals. Instead wow. of using piles of rack and all digital del delays and choruses and reverbs. So he was kind of tired of being addressed as the guy who uh, was using tons of effects. And that was uh, the reason he was so great. Wow. So, um, for some reason, I can relate to that in terms of, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can demystify the fact that you can play fast with a strat. You know, there's, there are tons of players that can play, you know, uh, great lines, you know, fast lines on a strat. Um, you don't have to have, you know, a, a super strat or a hot rod strat to, to get fast or, or cool on the guitar. So it was, I can relate to to Steve's words where he wanted to show that uh, it can do the same with a simple guitar, one you'll find in the stores, and and an amp. You don't need you know tons of uh, uh, you don't need twenty four frets or you know uh, action super low action on the on the, on the fretboard. Uh, you can just play. That's that's great. That is so cool. Speaking of action. Um, did that change with your d decision to, to go back to more of like a traditional strat? Did your setups change or are the setups kind of fundamentally the same? Well, uh, on the, I have, a, I have a couple of Chervelts and a strat, a Fender Stratocaster, uh, which is not a real uh, um, uh, Stratocaster because it's a strat with Floyd Rose. Okay. It's kind of my, it's kind of my uh, old school Denoff uh replica guitar so um and the action is not as low as i was used on my uh ibanez guitars for example because mm -hmm. you know the, the neck is is um uh, the radius is different so uh it's not as flat 
and uh, Charvels are different. That you can you can have a pretty much I can have actually um, a kind of low action on on, on the Charvels because they they have um, compound radius. Okay. So it starts I think on a twelve and it goes to a sixteen on the upper frets, so you can still have you know a pre a pre low action. But what I like about uh, the guitar is not necessarily a super low action. It's a straight neck. Mm. So the first thing I do, I just straighten the neck as much as possible. As long as there's probably no space, mm -hmm. you check the sixth string. Because I, I like the neck to be really, really flat. Yeah. Um, so I have my, my guitar tech to set up all the guitars that way, even the strats. I don't care if it, if it buzzes a little bit. It's part of the tone, you know. It's a, yeah. It's a and it has to, yeah. to buzz a little bit. And uh, I love the fact, I don't mean to interrupt, but I love the fact you're saying that because uh, you're the first person that I've talked to that, that sort of echoes my same thought about, about that and, and setups in general, because bass players will, will pick up my basses and, um, you know, everybody likes a different setup, but there are some players that will pick up my bass and it's, it sounds like the instrument is not set up well because it's making too much noise. Right. Um, and I play it, maybe I don't use as hard an attack and it's, and it's not, it's not doing that. It's not misbehaving, but I like the instrument to, when you really dig in, I like it to have a bark or a noise to it that reflects that, that mood or that, that impulse at the time. So I'm not bothered at all by a little bit of, of buzz when I, when I'm digging in, I think it's part of the attitude, but there are some players, um, guitar players and, and bass players that they don't want any buzz, you know, at, at all. And, and, and I've, I've heard that from, from some studio cats before there's not a right or wrong, I don't think, but I love hearing you say that because it kind of validates what I've been, what I've been thinking as well. But, um, but yeah, that's really well, the, cool. The setup, I think the setup really, uh, uh, it's your like it, your 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 glove, you know, in a way, because it works on you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I pick anyone's guitar, um, even professional players' guitars, and I, I will probably find them, you know, too low or too high. Yeah, and same uh, if they pick one of mine, you know, it's, it depends on your picking. Well, on your or when you finger the bass. Yeah, uh, depends how much power you put into your. Uh, fingers or your pick so it really depends on your style there's no actual right or wrong it all depends on uh, on your picking technique yeah was it um you'll know this i'm sure but um stevie ray vaughn wasn't he pretty famous for having a setup or, or string gauges that really required him to muscle oh yeah that that guitar so what I don't know what string gauge he used. I know you may know that, but you could watch Stevie play in a video and see that I call it like, it was almost a muscular brutish approach. Like he commanded, you know, the, the guitar to do what he wanted the, the guitar to do. Right. And you have to, you have to think that if his setup was more compliant there's no way he would have sounded the same way, right? The part right. of the sound was was the effort. At least that's how I I see it. 
I could exactly. be wrong. Well, it's the same with string gorges. You know, when when I um, I've I've been you know in thousands and thousands of uh, argue with players where tens or elevens sounds better uh, on a guitar. Well, it's I always I always kind of uh, like. Uh, the usual Steve Lukather's words. I mean, he used 9 to 42 since he was like 18. Wow, and, I didn't know no, that. And nobody ever complained. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, uh, Billy Gibbons, he used 8, which are like, you know, little hairs. hairs from <laughs> and Van Halen, he used 9s. Wow. And Jimmy Page, I mean, Brian May, all of these great players used thin strings. So, uh, uh, is this player's amount of tone short? I'd, I I won't say so. Uh, and then you have you know John Mayer or Steve Ray Vaughan because they they're pretty muscular, as you say. Yeah. Uh, pretty heavy heavy hitters on the instruments or players that use their fingers mostly, mm. uh, which is a different approach. You need thicker strings. Um, so it really depends on your style. Really depends on your style. So I yeah. use nine to forty-six is kind of uh, in between nines and tens. Mm-hmm. So I have heavier uh, low strings and the kind of you know thinner high strings. I've used these uh, for years now. It's been almost twenty years, and uh, never looked back because really strings are like you know changing your favorite pick. Yeah, you yeah. have to start all over with your intonation, and uh, well, first of all, with first of all with the guitar setup, but then with the intonation of notes because of thicker strings. So of of course, it has more uh, metal, more nickel. Yeah. So you have to be careful with bendings and, and vibrato. Everything sounds different and and feels different. So uh, hmm. uh, I will never change that. That's so cool. Do you have any like really old guitars that are sort of your, your babies? Do you, are you one of those people that loves to collect vintage instruments or do you, you just, you play what you like and that's it or what do you? No, I don't really have a vintage. I've never been actually uh, uh, attracted by vintage collecting stuff, you know, yeah. probably if I had the money or if I was, you know, uh, uh, rich enough to get a 59 less pole <laughs> i will probably get it but yeah it's like half a million and uh <sighs> and super rare guitars but no i really have um um well the guitars i i got are the ones that i play and are pretty mm-hmm. much new guitars and um and that's another actually myth Mm. Uh, you know that old guitar sounds better i think it depends on the player you can give an old yeah. guitar to a to a cheap player and, and it will sound cheap yes uh, it all depends on who plays what yeah well the other misconception that that's really common um is, is that well because it's super old it's a it's a great instrument you know i, I think some some players will make the mistake of, of assuming that and they and if they don't have a lot of experience playing or 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 uh, dealing with different setups, I, I mean I've had I've had students before in the past where they they spend thousands of dollars on a vintage instrument and they bought it because you know it's a seventy one and you know it looks cool and it's old so it must be great, only to find out you know that 
the instrument, it, either it doesn't sound that good or it plays horribly because it needs so much work. And just because it's old doesn't mean it's good. I've, I've played uh, 1964 jazz basses that were absolute gems and, and they felt inspiring to hold and to play. I've played 64 jazz basses that were complete dogs and, and you would never be inspired to play them because they they either sounded they just didn't sound good or they or they felt terrible because they they suffered the ills of going through decades without any maintenance and right. so now they're it, they have to be repaired for them to to be redeemed you know and um so i i think I think that's something, like you said, it's, 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 you said it well, you know, it's a myth that just because it's vintage, it's great. Cause there's, there's bad instruments from, from all, all decades, you know, out there for sure. But I will say one thing about modern instruments, maybe you agree with this. I cannot believe the quality that you get now out of like the lowest line instruments from, from some of these manufacturers. I mean, you can buy a $200 bass or, or guitar that plays amazing. It's built in a factory on CNC machines. All of the exacting specifications are, you know, they have very, you know, low tolerances and, you know, that comes out playing wonderful. You couldn't say that you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago about instruments, you know, back then you could buy the expensive version of the instrument and still have it be a dog, right? Well, I think the QNC uh, just got better and better because of technology and stuff. And yeah. You could get a, a dead guitar back in the 60s or 70s. Anyway, today's, I guess it's much harder to get a really low quality instrument compared to 25 30 40 years ago so um uh and i guess that partially applies to the to all the stuff musically related you know 30 years ago you couldn't get an, an audio interface and record yourself at home right. so everything just got at a, at a people's uh, at people's level i will say you know at people's yeah. reach so, um, and even the quality just got better, I guess. I've had conversations with players before where we talk about technology and, and how, you know, we can get better and better technology for, for lesser and lesser amounts of, of money. And consequentially, what happens is, you know, everybody and their brother now essentially can have a home studio and they can they can record an album at, at home or record their their instrument parts at home. Do you think that's a good thing or do you think that's a bad thing? Because I think it could be argued at times that that there's there's an oversaturation of out there from from these these musical productions that are coming out of all different sorts of of places that you know, it, it kind of makes the case that just because the gear is good, it doesn't mean that the, the product is going to, is going to necessarily sound good because it still requires good ears and, you know, sensibility when, when you're engineering and all that stuff. I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think it's all good or do you think it's bad? Well, a few years ago, I will have, you know, be totally raging against, you know, against this. Uh, I mean, I was like, you know, 
the music is going down and the quality is going down. And this is partly because of, you know, uh, everybody's entitled to make a record these days. But now uh, I see it more as, uh, you know, I'm, I have the freedom of choice. I mean, I can decide what to listen and what not. So uh, if something is really crap, I mean, I can leave it to uh, to the catalogs. And I mean, I just I I just can't decide, you know, not to listen, not to buy, or just uh, I can have a preview and and maybe decide. But you know what you're saying is is uh, is totally true. You know, today everyone can with with like a hundred a couple of. Uh, couple of hundred bucks can make a record with a with a decent interface and a good computers and a few plugins and the quality is, is really you know, is is a is a is a is a matter of i think it's a matter of the, well i think the songwriting is what makes the difference mm-hmm. now, yes. because you know you can have a decent quality with 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 really low budget stuff but then about what about the songwriting or the uh well the songwriting is also can also be applied to instrumental stuff so the songwriting in general that's what really interests me and i i don't care anymore about the the whole you know anyone is able to these days i was more concerned a few years back because mm-hmm. i was kind of watching the music scene changing and all the sessions going down because of this. But now it's kind of, I will say, established. Yeah. So we kind of found a balance yeah. uh, where anyone can, you know, the good thing is that, on the other hand, good players can actually uh, still doing sessions by distance. I mean, we will never be able to record for each other. That's right. Uh, if it wasn't for this kind of uh, music revolution. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. So it, 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 it all depends on, uh, on the player, actually. Yeah. It all depends on the player. So at the end, if there's a judge, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the good will, well, the, the real good will be um, on the listening uh, spot and, you know, all the rest will be just there. But you know, I think with it's like it's like with uh, pretty much all the other things in in in, in life. Yeah. So uh, I, I I tend to think about the goods of it. Yeah. The fact that we were able to continue doing this by distance. Absolutely, and I think to your point, you know, yeah, there is. Um, there is a massive saturation, you know, of music out there. And, and, you know, especially now with, with streaming services and uh, independent releases all now have, have access to the same digital distribution that the, you know, the, the big marquee bands do, um, which is a great thing for, for independent artists. And, um, you know, it affords you the ability to, to still have your music available worldwide but um you know you mentioned earlier about the you know the quality of of songwriting making making the difference i think it's still safe to say that 
you know, quality will still have a tendency to sort of rise to the top of, of people's awareness, right? Um, and that goes for, you know, that, that goes for the, the, you know, the albums that are, that are released. Um, you know, I think the, the viral ability, you know, if that's even a word, of, of music still has a lot to do with um, being able to appeal to the least common denominator. You know, the, the, the music that still has a way to connect with the largest numbers of, of people for whatever reason still has a way of kind of making, making its way out there and, and, and being heard. But um, I'm not saying there aren't challenges to, you know, releasing a record. I would never say that because there are, especially when you have limited funding. But, um, but yeah, it seems like in spite of all the noise, you know, there's, there's still, there still is a line of delineation between, you know, quality and stuff that's just kind of rushed out there and, and maybe doesn't have a lot of um, whatever, maybe doesn't have as much effort behind right. it. So with your releases, the, your, your prior albums, how many do you have now of you, under your own uh, name? Actually, I've just done my third last year. That's great. Okay. And, and I've, boy, I've had the, the honor of getting to play on, on some of your songs, which was amazing. Um, your music is so, man, it's, it's so inspirational in terms of the musicianship and, and you could tell that you could tell your fingerprint is on all of it. Um, my, one of my favorite things about you as, as a player just instantly caught my ear the first time I heard you play your sense of melody and your ability to, to build melody and theme into your, into your, 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 your song melodies and, and solos is second to none. It's, it's amazing. Surely there must be a path that, that got you there. Was it, you know, the, the, the epic nature of, of your, of your melodies, did that come from particular guitar player influences that you listened to, or is this a sound you always heard in your head? Well, I do remember when I first started, um, uh, getting getting into guitar uh, in the mid to late eighties, uh, that I was more intrigued and fascinated by melodies than technique. Mm. So um, the early players I was listening back then, whether it was Van Halen or Joe Satriani, well, I mean everything that was mainstream back then. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so all these players, Red Beach, Winger, yeah, um, you know all these all these uh, players that were known for back then were known for their technique, for being you know the groundbreaking guys on the scene. But I was looking at them differently. I was kind of uh, listening to the the few notes they were putting into their lines, other than you know the thousands of of legato stuff and <laughs> stuff they were playing or tapping. Yeah. So I was more, more, more fascinated by, by that approach. So I kind of started um, learning the guitar in that way. The, the technique came later. Mm. So I was, I was trying to, to, to kind of question myself why that line didn't sound like Joe Santriani. And it was partially because of the vibrato he was putting in and by the, um, 
uh, intensity and dynamic he was using. So at a, I, I, I think I got that on an early stage that uh, later on, uh, when it was time to write my own stuff, that all came together. And uh, so it was, uh, it was a reach for the, uh, for, sometimes I do this. When I write a melody, I put myself into the listener position. Mm. And I ask myself what I would like to hear if I'd be the listener. And I start singing these melodies in my head and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But uh, most of the times is what I would like to hear from yeah. myself. So yeah. putting myself in that uh, situation, in that spot, um, I think that automatically put me in a, in a, in a, in, in a mood of writing this kind of, well, someone said, you know, good melodies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and that worked. That worked. So yeah. it's a matter of, you know, listening, my listenings and the approach to melody and the fact that the guitar, the guitar and in, in the instrumental stuff is pretty much the, pretty much the voice. So I have to be uh, the singer. Yes. Yes. And, and yes. You, you won't ever, you won't ever, you know, hear a singer doing right right too much stuff yes that is such an awesome to hear that yeah i want to hear that but just briefly in some spots yeah this has to be a conversation Mm -hmm. so that that was my goal that is fantastic fantastic stuff uh when sometimes when i'm working with players that are wanting to learn to improvise that's the analogy I use because it's, you know, guitar, bass, string instruments, so much of, of what um, we evolve from a lot of times. And I'm not saying this is always the best thing, but it just, it's just kind of a consequence of the way the instrument is built. So, so much of what we learn evolves from shapes and patterns first and, you know, getting our fingers around particular sounds or, or characters and the, 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 the path that, that sometimes players take is that, when they, when they are evolving from this pattern-based place, they're trying now to improvise from this pattern-based place, which ends up being more visual than it is auditory. So they're, so they're, so they're looking at the varying shapes as, as the source of inspiration, as opposed to what, what they hear or like a melodic lead. So what I try to do with, with players is I'll, I'll try to get, I'll say this exact thing. I'll say, try to play a line that a singer would sing because a singer is not going to go, you know, it's not going to be this, this exercise, this, this technique exercise. And I had to do that myself because unlike you, when I started playing my, I was distracted by the technique. I was like, Oh, the technique is amazing. And in my mind, I didn't have a teacher. I didn't have a mentor explaining to me that that was just, you know, one of the, one of their, their tools that was available. So in, in my immature musical mind, I was thinking, well, if you, um, if you develop amazing technique, then that makes you a great player. And later on, I would get some guidance and sort of figure out, no, it's not just about that. It's about, it's about phrasing. It's about tone. It's about groove, time placement, and all those other things. So I think a lot of young players are hypnotized by, by the technique that's so flashy and exciting to them um, and, and it's, it's cool to hear 
for you, you had, you had a more mature, more mature perspective from the beginning. It's like you were already listening to the melodies that, that captivated you. And that began your guitar playing. Maybe it gave you a head start. I don't know, but that's a, that's a super awesome, important concept for sure. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but that, that was from the very, very beginning. That was, uh, you know, when I, when I, when I started, I remember clearly <clears throat> one of the first songs that I, that I've learned was, uh, well, it was the year of uh, Always With Me, Always With You oh, from yeah. Joe Satriani. Mm. And um, the day I remember, uh, um, you know, there's that, that, you know, monumental tapping part in the middle, uh, which uh, pretty much every guitar player was raving about because it was the highlight of the tune. But I mean, I remember that I had tears when I was listening to the, to the very beginning of the melody. So something mm. caught me. Yeah, I had goosebumps, and and so well, I was really, really, uh, really, really intrigued by by the whole melodic aspect of the song because it, mm. it had something that uh, was just moving me. Mm. Uh, so, and I was like seven, eight. I was really, really young. So, um, uh, I was fascinated. That was a that was a fascinated uh, time for 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 being you know uh, uh, starting you know learning things on the guitar. That's amazing. Now it's just now it's pretty much all you know. Yeah, it's just automatic. Yeah, automatic and hundreds and hundreds of notes. And the faster you are, the better you are. <laughs> the, the more likes you get. Right. <laughs> Oh boy, that's another topic for another time, and uh, the the social media influence on on gu guitar playing and bass playing and musicianship in general. I um I mentioned Icefish earlier, and I wanted to to bring that up. Uh, now um, that's a project that you have with Alex Argento, correct? Yep. And is that is is that still? I'm not. I know you've released at least one record with that band. Um, is that still an active project for you? Well, it is. Well, the, the whole pandemic just uh, put uh, everything on a hold for us. And, um, well, the band, since we, we have um, Virgil Donati on drums, and Virgil used to live in L.A., and uh, he recently moved to Italy, so he's uh, kind of around here. Uh -huh. And... Um, so the plan was like uh, not to be a project, to be a lively band. Yeah. Uh, according to, you know, uh, um, our expectations as a band. And um, Andrea... Tell me the name of the, 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 the bass player's a lead vocalist, right? Andrea Casali. He's, a, he's, uh, a, he's, he's amazing. I oh, love, yeah. love that guy. I want to, I, I would love to... To interview him one one day as oh, well. Oh yeah, he's a he's a great guy, the most humble person I ever met in my life. Oh, he was amazing. part of my solo band actually. Oh, so cool! That's how I discovered him. He's the he's the little guy of the ba of the band because he's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's from my from eighty six, eighty five, eighty six. Wow, he's, uh, he's amazing. Like, I love yeah, him. he's the little the little kid, um, and uh, it was funny because when we were kind of. Uh, thinking about a, a singer for this uh, for this band, I kind of look at Alex and say, we have it, and it's our bass player. Mm. So, our, well, our concern was that the music was 
kind of complex to be played and yeah. uh, and uh, and uh, and put some vocals on it and, and, and sing it. But he put himself like uh, six months into just practicing singing and playing those lines that when he did it, it was like, I mean, Virgil was like, I can't believe it. And I mean, Virgil has played with everyone. Yeah. It was like, I've never seen anyone playing, you know, like 11, 16 runs and singing a total. Oh, incredible. Melody on the top. It was, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. so cool. So you will, um, Lord willing, you guys will resume tour dates once we, once we're playing again. Right. And then people can, I hope so. Yeah. Is that a band that you um, hope to travel with internationally as well? Well, we did a small tour in October uh, two years ago. We did a small oh, run. Oh, excellent. Yeah, we, we, had a, we had a few European uh, gigs in a selected place, and the response was great. We shoot our first, uh, and so far, only DVD in Poland, and uh, so, yeah, it was right uh, when we were start thinking about the next release and eventually the next tour that everything just uh, shut down and uh, from mm-hmm. a day to another. Well, actually, for me, uh, I, you know, um, I'm playing with, uh, with another band called PFM. They're kind of an historical classic prog band from mm-hmm. Italy, from the 70s. And... Uh, We've done like a hundred and five shows last year. Wow, so it was kind of a, a national record. Wow, Italy, because it was a big tour, and uh, so we went from a hundred gigs to zero. Like, mm. well, we did like four at the beginning of uh, 2020, and then they just shut us down, and uh, mm. so it was a huge, huge loss for mm. for for, uh, for us. So Marco, what are you doing? How I'm asking everybody this because it's you know it's on everybody's mind. You know, I've I've called this this season of the pandemic. This is the great equalizer uh, in that it's you know regardless of where you are in terms of your touring and recording and all this stuff. You know, it, this this virus deal has has affected all of our livelihoods in the in the same way. Uh, what how are you sustaining yourself are are you are, are you still working and is it mostly from from home how do you how do you keep doing what you do well um hopefully um i have the whole uh the whole jam track central stuff that uh keeps me going i mean uh, um both my my online lesson stuff okay. online packages and and my records are um have them in common so they are the label and the 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 company that i work with for the lessons so and where can and where can people find that i want to make sure people know if they're looking okay, for okay the, the website uh shall be www.jtcguitar.com okay okay so um they have both uh the record um, merch stuff and and all the packages for lessons, but also um, uh, well, I've been doing things that I've always uh, 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 thought they were not for me. Like maybe you know doing packages of sounds for the camper, mm. or maybe you know 
doing stuff, recording stuff for for uh, other people. I've been doing a lot of online lessons, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, recently, I just finished actually uh, yesterday. I just finished uh, recording in the tracks for uh, the new James Labrie record. Just Excellent. Gonna be, uh, it's going to be an acoustic record. So uh, that's great. Guitars. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, and I have another another PFN record to finish. We're at the, the last stage. You know, everyone is working on his own, and uh, and trying to keep it busy. You know, and if I'm not doing this, I'm just kind of uh, starting practicing. Yeah. Uh, trying to keep the chops together for when you know things will get back to normal. Yeah. Hope. You know, the sooner the better. That's but, fantastic. Uh, yeah, trying to keep this. Uh, hopefully, my wife still works. She works as a teacher, so uh, we have a stable income. That's good. That's great. That's a blessing. I know. Yeah, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. That's, that's great. Um, if people want to get in touch with you to to hire you or inquire about lessons. Um, where should we send them? How, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, uh, I have an email, which is pretty common. It's marcosfoley at gmail.com where I okay. just uh, read everyone's email. So um, that's my primary email. I don't have a real website because uh, uh, with the advent of Facebook, pretty much, uh, you know, anyone can get in touch with anyone. Yeah. So I, I actually uh, answer uh, even on my Facebook page. So if uh, someone wants to, you know, get in touch with me, they can also okay me on Facebook and uh, or Instagram, whatever okay. is uh, an Instagram page. So pretty much, pretty much the usual, the, the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. So we'll include all those links in this in this video for for people as as well. Um, Gosh, what an honor to to have you! This is this has been amazing and and so insightful. Um, really appreciate your time, and um, more than that, I appreciate the opportunity to work with you in, in on this album and on your music. And I I pray there will be much more uh, collaboration with you in the in the future. Absolutely. And um, when we can finally get back to Italy, I would love to connect with you in in person. Absolutely, man. Is there? Anything else just to finish out that you want to share with anybody? Any new news or, or new things that, that you want people to know about coming up or, or anything like that? Well, I would like to thank you, actually. Oh, uh, well, my pleasure. Because this is a great uh, opportunity and um, the work, well, I, I just, uh, the work you did for me on uh, on uh, the forest, especially, you know, the forest was uh, one of the most uh, um it's 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 one of those songs that people keeps asking, you know, at clinics and stuff, and they just love the the arrangement and the bass parts, and they loved everything about it. And I was so happy to have you on board. Oh gosh, that is one of my favorite tracks I've played on. I'm so glad you and brought that up. You had, the tone you had is still unbeaten. Oh, thank you. you wow, that. it was just so easy. It was just a matter of you know opening the tracks, just uh, just doing some. Slight EQ when it was done. Nothing um, else. That brings me joy. Never yeah, that is. Uh, <laughs> it was a. That was that song was amazing, um, and yeah, thank thank you for that. That that means a lot. That, very much so. Well, Marco Sfoli, thank you for your time. Um, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and um, we look forward to hearing more from you, Marco, in, in the future. And um, everybody check out his socials and, and please 
please support Marco any way you can. Um, all of us musicians right now are, you know, in a position where we, we really depend on, on your support to, to be able to do what, what we do. And so we, we thank you for that and um, look forward to seeing everybody in, in the next video. So thanks so much. God bless. Marco, we'll be in touch. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye-bye. Right.